Well, good morning, folks. It's lovely to be back with you again. I'm very grateful for the privilege of uh, opening up God's Word. It's uh, an absolute joy. I know that um, uh, if I don't get preaching, I really miss it. So I'm just delighted to have the opportunity. And I pray that you would be blessed in some way this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to a very familiar passage. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. We're going to read from verse 13. The heading in my Bible is, On the Road to Emmaus. So it's a passage that you will probably uh, refer to every Easter. But I thought it would be good to refer to it at a time that wasn't Easter. Because I want to ask you a question. And uh, we'll see if we can answer the question as we go through the text. So Luke writes, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of the angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And open the scriptures to us. What wonderful words. We pray that God will make them a blessing to our hearts. Let's pray for just a moment. Oh Lord God, we're so grateful that we're able to come to you. And to read your precious word. But the truth is, Lord, often we read it. And we're not altogether sure what what it's saying. 
And so we just move on. But we pray that this morning you would help us to walk along with those two on the Emmaus Road. That we might pause and consider what's being said. And oh God, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see your truth. And in seeing your truth, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and apply it to our hearts and lives. That we might be being shaped into the people you want us to be because of all the truth that we discover this morning. So please come and help us, O Lord. You know that there are some folks, and they will have had a difficult week, and perhaps they're a little bit concerned about what lies in the week to come. But we do want to pray, O Lord, that in your grace and mercy, that we might be so encouraged that you would be honored in our hearts. We do ask these things, fathers. We thank you in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you. I'm retired. I retired about a year and a half ago. But, you know, I find that I'm just about as busy now as I have ever been. I get up in the morning and I hit the ground running. I've got a whole lot of stuff to do each day. And I guess that's pretty much the same for most of us, isn't it? Our lives seem to be dominated by deadlines. We've got to get stuff finished on time if we don't get stuff finished on time we let somebody else down and we let ourselves down and uh, and that's awfully distressing and disturbing so we live lives uh, in top gear as it were we're always in a hurry and you know that even impacts our spiritual lives the, the way we read our bibles we can speed read them you know you you just I've got to read a portion a day because a portion a day keeps the devil away. So I read my portion, I go as quick as I can, I come to the end of it and I think, well, what was all that about? But then I move on to something else. And that isn't good for us. It's not a good thing to speed read the Bible because when we speed read the Bible, we miss a huge amount. I want to illustrate that to you this morning because I'm going to show you a picture just for a moment. And when I show you the picture, just for a moment, I want you to, uh, I'm going to, just for a moment, you're going to see it. And then I want you to tell me what you've seen in the picture, okay? Just look. Okay, what did you see in the picture? Horses? How many horses? Two horses. Three. Two, three. Well, I'm glad I'm not a policeman looking for a witness statement. But okay, two or three horses. What else did you see? Trees. A man. Rocks? Faces and those. How many faces did you see? It's very difficult, isn't it, when you look at something really quickly. But there's the picture again. How many horses were there? There were two. And we saw rocks and we saw faces. How many faces did we see? Another face? Any other faces? Yes, one there. Any other faces? Any other faces? And do you know something? That's not all of them. If you look carefully, you'll see some other faces that I haven't highlighted. Now, isn't it interesting? We looked at the picture really quickly. And we thought we saw two or maybe three horses. And we saw a man. And we saw uh, trees and we saw rocks and 
one, one or two even saw faces. But you know, when we pause and slow down and allow our eyes to linger, we see so much more. And I want to slow down this morning and I want to look at a really familiar passage, Luke 24. Because Luke was a doctor. And doctors are trained to observe detail. So Luke records detail. And if we go quickly, we miss out on the detail. And if we miss out on the detail, we miss out on the really good stuff. So it's very important that when we read the Bible, we slow down and observe the details. So we ask ourselves, what is the context of the passage? Well, we know that Jesus had just been crucified. So let's just think about that for a moment. In the late afternoon, when the darkness lifted from Golgotha, and the sun was full upon him, Jesus cried out in triumph. He shouted, it is finished. And he breathed his last. But those gathered around the cross, did not for a moment recognize his victory. As Christ hung motionless, the warm sun spread over his spilled blood. And those who had hoped in Jesus slowly trudged away from the scene. The icy fingers of death tightened around their hearts in chilling and numbing grief. Despairing hands prepared his cold body for burial and laid it in a tomb. And so deep was their despair that no one possessed even the slightest thought of the possibility of resurrection. And when at the dawn on the third day the women found the tomb empty, nobody thought it was because of the resurrection. It appears that they did not believe even after the angels announced to them that Jesus had risen. And when Peter inspected the empty tomb, instead of believing, he went away wondering what could have happened has somebody stolen the body. And in those moments, the Lord's enemies resumed their money-making trade in the temple. And the politicians went back to business, the business of exchanging truth for power. For the religious establishment, it was business as usual. But for the followers of Jesus, it marked the death of a long-awaited dream. And we find two of the disciples heading for a village called Emmaus, which was six, seven miles away. That's significant. It was a Sabbath day's journey. They were only supposed to travel a certain distance or up to a certain distance on the Sabbath. And so they were walking to the village of Emmaus, and one of them was called Cleopas. We're not sure who Cleopas was. We read that in John 19 that near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And there are some folks who think that Clopas, though the spelling is different, is the same as Cleopas. Maybe, maybe not. We're not altogether sure if it was the same man. In any event, this couple were devastated and overcome with grief. We had hoped that he was the one 
who was going to redeem Israel. And if you listen listen carefully, you can hear the emotion, the pathos in their voices. But Jesus had been taken by the Jews, the religious establishment. He'd been handed over to the Romans and the chief priests and the others had called for his execution. So the Romans crucified Jesus. And so here were these two on the Emmaus Road and their faces were downcast because their hope had drained away. We have three points. The first is this. Confusion, confusion reigned. Confusion reigned in their hearts. Is it not true that sometimes we get confused? We get confused about God and what God does and what God doesn't do. Because often the things that we think he ought to do, he doesn't do. And the things that he does, we, we struggle with because we don't think he should do them. Well, these two were confused. Did God care? Of course God cared, because God knows all things, and God knew all about their confusion in exactly the same way as he knows about our confusion. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. In fact, it goes on to say, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, which is rather disconcerting, isn't it? Isn't it? It really is. Now we may feel insignificant and alone, but when we see Jesus drawing alongside this hurting couple, our hearts will be encouraged because that's what Jesus does. He draws alongside those who are hurting. But somehow, as Jesus drew alongside, they were kept from recognizing him. Now my question to you this morning is this, have you ever wondered why they were kept from recognizing Jesus? You see, there's a reason, and I think the text gives us the answer to that question. They were kept from recognizing Jesus. Look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus drew near and he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. I wonder, did they even look into his face? They were so sad and so confused. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Luke employs a narrative device called literary irony in which the reader has knowledge about the story that the characters in the story don't have knowledge. Now, we we kind of miss that because we, we don't maybe pause and think about it. But irony jumps off the page here. I came across this little picture. It says posting uh, signs on windows or doors is prohibited. Irony, however, is to be encouraged. And irony just jumps off the page here. And if the story were read uh, aloud in, in the first century, the, the, the folks who listened to it would have burst out laughing. Because they could have seen the irony here. Now Jesus of course understood. It was the disciples who didn't understand. They were 
clueless. They didn't have an idea as to what was going on. But Jesus wasn't put off by their not knowing. He said to them in verse 19a, what things he asked. He was wanting to draw them out. Listen how negative they were in their response to Jesus. I don't know if there are notes of almost anger coming through in their voices. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Note the tense was. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. How interesting. They mention it was the third day since Jesus' death, forgetting that Jesus had taught again and again that he would rise on the third day. The third day. The angels said that he was alive, uh, but they couldn't find the body, and they really didn't know. Cleopas had let it all out, his confusion, his depression, his disillusionment, his shrinking faith, and even his anger. And did Jesus reject him? No, of course not. Jesus coaxed the couple to reveal their true thoughts, which were by and large their doubts. And when they did so, Jesus answered, You see, our Lord honors spiritual honesty. He invites honesty from his people. This is not to suggest that we're called to trumpet our doubts to those around us, especially to the young and uninformed, but he wants us to tell him the truth because he knows it anyway. And the trouble is, when we don't articulate our doubts to him, we end up believing our doubts and that leads us to doubt our beliefs. And it's very important we don't doubt our beliefs because we end up believing our doubts. We need to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. So we have to tell him because he knows everything anyway. He sees into our hearts. He knows the things that we struggle with. So it's wise for us to say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Now it has been said that hope is like a window pane. It's clear enough, but if our focus is a little off, all we can see is ourselves and whatever's behind us. If our perspective is a little off, we just see the reflection of ourselves and what's behind us. Instead of looking through the window to see what is in front of us. Well, Cleopas, his faulty perspective, prevented him from seeing what was right in front of him. And what was right in front of him? Was it not the Lord Jesus Christ? But he didn't recognize him. His perspective was off. And what follows is an almost 
comical inability to assemble the clues and arrive at the obvious conclusion. Cleopas recounted the major facts of the day. He said, in effect, the women found the tomb empty. The angel said the tomb was empty because Jesus uh, was alive. And some other people verified that the tomb was empty, but I can't figure out what happened. That's what he says. The challenge for Jesus became clear to adjust the disciples' perspective to help him see the true Messiah, his actual mission and the real kingdom of God. And he began with a rebuke and a rhetorical question. So we move from confusion to explanation. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I wonder, have you heard the, 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 the word hermeneutics? It's the technical term for the science of biblical interpretation. And that's what Jesus did. He began to explain the scriptures to him. Wouldn't you just have loved to listen in while Jesus opened the scriptures? It was, it was the best uh, Bible convention that there's ever been. For the Lord Jesus shed light on the word and gave them understanding. And the more Jesus opened uh, the word, the more their hearts began to understand. The stranger in front of them uh, established that the suffering and death uh, of Jesus were not obstacles to the Lord being the Messiah. And in fact, they made Jesus' claim to be a Messiah more credible and compelling because the Messiah had to suffer. And their conclusion, confusion and depression melted like frost before the sun. He opened the word, the prophets have spoken, all the scriptures concerning himself. The scriptures were alive to the couple as never before and what grief they would have been spared if only they had known and believed God's word to begin with. If we find ourselves hurting and tempted to despair and do not find that the scriptures speak to our condition, it's not because the Bible has failed us. It's because we don't know it well enough. We cannot be profoundly comforted by that which we do not know. So we need to study our Bibles with an eye to our Savior because everything to do with our salvation and our peace, our shalom, is yes in Christ. So we have confusion followed by explanation and then followed by uh, revelation. As the stranger explained the scriptures, they began to understand the necessity of the cross and the resurrection. It all began to make sense because they all knew what went on in the temple. They all knew in the temple that offerings were offered every single day. And they'd been taught right back to the garden what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, They made an inadequate covering for themselves from fig leaf. I don't know if you've ever seen a fig leaf. It's such an odd shape. It doesn't cover a whole lot. And these guys, Adam and Eve, they made coverings. And the Lord came into the garden in the cool of the evening. And he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam was hiding. And what did the Lord do? 
the Lord gave them a covering of animal skins. Where did he get them? He got them from animals, didn't he? Now, when you take a skin off an animal, when you separate a skin from a body, it it means death, doesn't it? So, blood was shed to provide a covering. And these people knew all about that, because they'd been taught it. They knew what went on in the temple, that blood was offered, life was shed, in order... uh, to provide some kind of forgiveness. But because when creation fell, everything fell, with the exception of Christ, that sin had touched every single animal that ever was, every offering that was offered to God was tainted. But the Son of God never sinned. He was free from sin. So his offering was acceptable to the Father. And now they begin to understand why the tomb was empty. I think that they were kept from recognizing Jesus so that they would base their understanding of the resurrection squarely on scripture and not on their experience. Do you know something? I came out today to come over here. I got my sat nav because I'm not terribly good at, uh, I don't know this part of the world, but my wife had been using it. So when I went to recent destinations, all I got was a list of the people she visited through the week. <laughs> so I went all around the houses and I had to get my phone out and find the website and get directions from the website because my memory is flawed and fallible. And I am so glad that God does not expect us to believe based on our memories because we have forgetteries that function really well, don't we? Why were they kept from recognizing him? Because Jesus wanted them to base their understanding of the resurrection truth not on their memories which would fade and, oh, as the years passed but on the scriptures, on the word of God. Memories play tricks with us, but the scriptures never change. So their belief in the resurrection rested solely on God's word before they saw the Christ. Look at uh, uh, 28 and 29 as they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. They didn't want the explanation to stop. They were so thrilled by what they were discovering as their eyes were opened to the truth of the scriptures with which they were familiar, but actually not really familiar. Because they didn't really understand them. But with the understanding that came from Jesus' teaching, oh, their hearts were just full to overflowing, and they didn't want Jesus to go on. But when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. What happened at the table? Did they catch a glimpse of his hands? Did they see the... The wounds there, we don't know, we're not told. But in the breaking of bread, they recognized him. And the irony is worth noting, that they had been looking at the Lord for a while, but they didn't see him until they let go of their false expectations. 
But as soon as they let go of their false expectations, once their eyes were opened, Jesus became invisible. Isn't that interesting? Jesus became invisible when their perspective was changed. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The winter of their winter of the soul was gone forever, and so it is when the scripture comes alive in our souls with the certainty and the reality of Jesus Christ. When the scripture comes alive in our souls, it grips us. It grips us. And it gives us all the resources we need to keep going when everything around us says it's not worth it. It keeps us going. The great Frenchman Blaise Pascal must have been somewhere in the Emmaus latitudes on a memorable night, November 23rd in 1654, when he wrote in his journal the word fire to describe the most memorable spiritual experience of his life. And this glowing word was followed with a hurried scribble, joy, 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 tears of joy, and then several inscriptions of the name Jesus Christ, like signatures on a letter. How wonderful that when these two felt abandoned, the Lord Jesus drew close. Do you know? He still does. When stuff goes pear-shaped in our lives, the Lord draws near. Could be the death of a loved one. It could be redundancy. It could be serious illness. A family moving away. And there are days when it seems that God is so far away. And yet in those days, he's closer than ever. I love the psalmists because the, the psalmists are so human. Sometimes they shout out, God, are you awake? Do you even know what's going on in our lives? But God does know. But what we fail to understand is that God uses the experiences that we go through to shape us and make us into the people that he wants us to be. The, the process of the journey is almost as important as the destination. But when those two on the Emmaus Road were utterly devastated and confused, the Lord Jesus drew close. He still draws close today. And if you're in that place where you feel isolated and alone and confused, you need to know that perhaps he's closer than ever. And maybe, just maybe, you're on the point of learning something really important about him. It has been said that when the bottom falls out of our world, we discover for the first time that round about and underneath are the everlasting arms. And that's true. I want to finish by just pointing you to a lovely scripture in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, For what I received I passed unto you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now there's two little phrases or one little phrase repeated twice. 
according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. I want to encourage you. Don't be those who speed read your Bibles. Because if you do, you scoot across the surface and you just miss the gems, the precious jewels that are wedged between the lines. We've had a simple look at a beautiful passage and I hope there have been one or two things in that passage that will have encouraged us. It may be this morning that there's somebody here and you've been coming for a while and you're not really sure that Jesus is your own Saviour and Lord. But you can be sure today. Because by grace, he just holds out this gift of salvation. Like Christmas. A gift. And when my wife hands me a gift at Christmas, I don't look at it and say thank you dear and leave her holding it. I take it. I receive it and I open it. And he holds, holds out this wonderful gift of forgiveness. Do we deserve it? Not on your life. Why does he love us? I haven't the faintest idea. But I know that he does. And that we matter to him. You matter to him this morning. So if you've never received that gift of life, what's stopping you? The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you don't taste, you'll never know how good. Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, we bless you and praise you for the joy of knowing sins forgiven. We thank you that we've been able to walk alongside the two on the Emmaus Road for just a little while. And we have been reminded that... You didn't allow them to recognize you because they needed to know how important building our lives on your word was rather than building our lives on experience. We thank you that when we pray, we talk to you and that when we read your word, if we do so carefully, you talk to us. So we pray that we might be a people who not only mark our Bibles, but that we might be a people whose lives are marked by what we read in your word. We ask these things as we commit one another into your tender care and keeping. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.